I'm Dr. Gary Linkoff, founder and medical director of City Facial Plastics. Thank you for tuning into Face Facts, a podcast where medical professionals discuss everything related to facial aesthetics, plastic surgery, and hair restoration. Just to introduce you briefly, so Cynthia Rivas from Cynthia Rivas Skin Care. I've had the distinct pleasure of sharing an office space with you for, I guess, going on two years almost. So it's been amazing to watch your work and your happy clients and everything. So thanks so much for joining me. And there's definitely a lot to learn from you about skincare and all the related things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've loved working with you. So thank you. It's been a great experience. Thanks. How are you guys holding up over there? We're doing okay. Still in the city. You know, I can't really complain. We're healthy. You know, family's good too. So yeah. it's just, okay, you know, good. yeah, it's kind yeah. of what everyone's going through, like a little boredom, you know, don't know what to right. do, but, uh, but everyone is good. Yeah. How about yeah, you guys? That's good. I'm so we're okay. Yeah. I mean, I, we all thought that we had like a COVID virus um, already. Oh, passed through this. We thought we had it passed through this apartment, but it turns out that I was negative for the antibodies. So most likely my wife and kid don't have it. So it's, right. it's kind of we actually, you know, we were kind of bummed about it because now it's like, oh, gosh, now you have to be even more careful. And yeah, so in a way, it's like no one wants to get the virus. But this was kind of a decent time to recover. Um, oh, for, sure. for those of us in good age group for recovery from this thing. So, right. yeah. you know, but we'll see. Hopefully we can stay safe. That's and, true. Uh, you were in Jersey for a little bit, right? Are you back in the city or are you still in Jersey? No, we really, we've been here most of the time. We okay. just went out to Long Island to see my parents for the weekend. And uh, now we're back. And yeah, I've been mostly doing the whole quarantine thing, but now starting to see family more. So this weekend, we have plans to go to Long Island City, to Brooklyn to see family. So it's time to like start to reunite a little bit. I know, I know. Just me, I, I miss seeing my mom. That's like the biggest one. But uh, soon yeah. enough, right? Soon enough. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's hope. Let's hope. Absolutely. But and hopefully we'll be back in the office soon, too. I, mean, I we'll know. See. I know. Like, hopefully. Like, yeah. We just have to make sure we open correctly and everyone's safe, you know? So. Yeah. Hey, Jojo. I just shout out to I see yeah. Jojo over there. All right. So let's get started. I don't know if you had a chance to look at my little outline here, but I did, I'm, yes. I'm sure you'll have a lot more to add. But uh, and I thought of a few things uh, in the last hour or two. But let's uh, let's start with like, I guess, the, the basics. So when you think of, I mean, you see so many people for their skin, I guess specifically on the face. Do you feel that it's more about how they kind of take care of their skin, daily habits that kind of create a better complexion and the fact that they're coming to you? Or is it just like more genetics? Like some people just seem to just have it and others don't. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think genetics does play a part in it, but you know, everything around us, I really feel like it, it ages you, you know, pollution, free radicals. So I think that most, you see it in twin studies, for example, like I know, you know, there's a bunch of studies where like one twin wears sunscreen and like, you know, does good skincare and the other one doesn't, you can see a huge difference and just how they're aging because one takes care of themselves and one doesn't. So genetics does play a part in it, but the majority is how you take care of your skin. Right, right. No, that, that's a great answer. That makes sense. And I, I guess it's the same like for a lot of other things in life. We have those genetics that predispose us maybe to certain things, but you know, we have a lot of say in, in what ultimately happens as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are the lucky few where, yeah. you know, I've even seen some women who just tell me they use like Dove soap to wash their face. Right. And that's like about it. And their skin looks amazing. It's very few. It doesn't happen often at all. Yeah. The <laughs> next question is uh, something you probably get asked all the time. Yeah. But so and there probably is no one answer for this. But I guess if you can just break it down into like the different types of things that you can put on your skin and what people most people should be using on a daily basis. I know there's so many different like names of products and, and brand names and stuff. But maybe if you can just boil it down to the essentials for people. Yeah. So I mean, I'm a little tough with this because I do believe in like multiple steps. But I think like, if you're going to pick one product in skincare, yeah. it's tough. Maybe give me two if I can pick two products yeah. for skincare, yeah. a really good cleanser. Cleansing is really important. It's your form of getting rid of pollution and build up on the skin. If you go to bed without washing your face, you're letting all of those things enter the skin and cause a lot of damage. So that is super important to cleanse your skin every night and to have a, a good cleanser. And then the other one is going to be a, a sunscreen. 
you know, like I tell people all the time, you can spend $10 or like thousands of dollars on skincare, but if you don't have proper sunscreen, right, you're, it's kind of like a waste because, you know, it's radiation. It causes, you know, free radicals in the skin. You get everything yeah. from pigment to, you know, break down the collagen. So you get fine lines and wrinkles. So it just damages you so much yeah. that you want to like make sure you wear proper sunscreen. So those are like two mm -hmm. basics that I feel like everyone should have. But then yeah. in there you can mix things up, right? Like using antioxidants, another form of protection for mm -hmm. the skin helps with free radical damage. Antioxidants can even- Is that the vitamin C, vitamin E? Exactly, yeah. So the most common are vitamin C, vitamin A, and vitamin E. You can okay. kind of find those everywhere. They're very popular. Mm -hmm. But there's so many more than just that. But right. antioxidants are another form of protection for the skin. They actually even make your sunscreen work better. So those are really important and not only for protection, but it right. reverses damage. And there's so many other great things to antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So the way that I kind of like to think about it is like you, you cleanse, then you go into like your treatments with like mm -hmm. your serums, your antioxidants, um, acids too, if you want to like resurface, you know, things like that. Right. And then you kind of like seal it in with like a good moisturizer and then you protect with like your mm -hmm. sunscreen. That's kind of an easy way to think about it. So you cleanse, treat, protect, mm -hmm. or seal it in and protect. So, so the cleansing, can that be done multiple times a day or is it just really at night? So the most important to me is at nighttime. Okay. But, you know, in the daytime, it, it can vary. It really depends. Like if you're like really dry, you know, like maybe you don't have to cleanse with a cleanser in the morning or maybe you can skip it, but mm -hmm. it's very rare. It's just easier to get in the habit of cleansing morning and night. Okay. Um, and that way, like when you cleanse in the morning, the products you apply during the day get a better chance of working better and penetrating the skin. Right. Okay. Makes sense. And then with so many different products on the market, how do you even begin to choose for each of these different categories, what the best thing is for, especially for each individual customizing it? Do you pick just one company and stick with that? Or do you like kind of hand pick from different companies? Yeah, I'm actually pretty bad at just picking one company because mm -hmm. I don't feel like one company or one brand does everything right. I'm pretty like, known for like picking and choosing a couple things of like each mm -hmm. brand and finding a way to get them all to work together properly. But do your research. Like I'm very big on educating like all of my clients, they all know like why they're using this product, what's it, what's it going to do for you. And then I always do a lot of research to make sure there's like clinical proof that it's mm -hmm. going to, you know, deliver the results it claims to deliver. So right. I think that like doing your research is really important, but you know, even like if, you know, you can't spend a ton of money on products, like at yeah. least like know what you're looking for. Like say like, you know, antioxidants we talked about. Like which mm -hmm. ones are the most powerful? Well, that's vitamin C, vitamin mm -hmm. A and E. Mm -hmm. So like you can like shop around and see which, you know, what company you can actually purchase and like use it, you know? But there is a difference mm -hmm. when you ask me like, how do you know which one to pick, which one's effective? So yeah. there is a, there's something called like the delivery method, right? So mm -hmm. it's different from like, I don't know, just taking like lemon juice, for example, for like vitamin C, right? We know that right. citruses have vitamin C. So there's a difference between like just taking that putting directly on the skin. Mm -hmm. But then a company who works with scientists and you know, spend money and pay these people to mm -hmm. find a way to make that vitamin C molecule small enough to get into your skin. Right, in a high so, enough concentration, I guess, too. Exactly, okay. yeah, and making sure, like, that it's stable, that it's yeah. not, you know, that's going to do something. So yeah. usually, like, to find, like, effective products, they're not in the lower grade price point because there's a mm -hmm. lot of research, a lot of smart people involved yeah. in, like, you know, making that happen. Right, and so, like, what do you think about the offices that basically take, um, you know, some kind of, I don't know what exactly, you know, they're using as a base, but some sort of cream or whatever, and they slap their label on it. Are those ever truly high quality or are those not to be trusted? Yeah, you know, that happens a lot. There are these companies out there that mass produce a product and then people right. will just put their own label on it and claim it to be theirs, you know? So yeah. it really depends. Like there are some good labs out there you know, mm -hmm. that will do that. But 
I don't know. I just, I love like individuality and like, you know, a whole concept of like making something happen. There are a lot of products that just don't work, unfortunately, because, you know, the FDA doesn't really regulate these things. Are there any on the horizon that you think are going to be sort of groundbreaking in their technology or something that, you know, some new company that's coming out or not really? You know which one I've had my eye on for a little bit? what's it called antigen. So basically Mm -hmm. growth factors have been on the market for a really long time, you know, for stimulating collagen and rejuvenating the skin, Mm -hmm. but they're really famous for smelling really bad, honestly. So um, we've been looking into stem cells, this anti, I'm pretty sure they're called antigen. They found a way to take stem cells and like, you know, I guess mass produce them where it's mm-hmm. and put it into stable formulas where they don't have to use like the smelly serum that okay. a growth factor needs to be in to like survive basically. So that's mm-hmm. that stem cell work. I think is going to become very, very popular soon. Do you think that will be more regulated if it has some stem cell activity in it or it still will be fine because it's just on the surface? No, it's actually, I they've had really, really good studies with it. And you uh, would know, like stem cells for like hair, you know, uh, growth and things like that. They're trying yeah. to do it a lot more in skin, but like in different ways. Yeah, growth factors are definitely being used on the scalp uh, for like injecting and they're still not really FDA approved for that indication. Something like PRP, it's your own body's fluid, so you don't need FDA approval for it. But when you're using HEP factor, any kind of growth factor, it gets trickier, you know. So um, so I haven't implemented it because it's just not technically allowed right now. So yeah. if you run into any problems like, I don't know, causing someone, if someone develops like a skin cancer on their scalp, you know, maybe they would have gotten it anyway. But if you're putting the stuff into it, so that's why I've avoided it. Yeah. But It'll be interesting to see like the topical application of it and how that kind of goes. So someone asked us a question about the redness on the side of nostrils. I see that in my practice doing all the the lip lifts and and rhinoplasties and actually kind of happy when they have it at the base of their nose because then I'm like, well, if your incision is a little red, you know, you hide it. But for people who are looking to not have surgery and just have it treated appropriately with like, I guess, skincare or laser or whatever, what do you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, for anything to figure out how to treat something is to find the cause of it. So a lot of times, you know, when you have redness in the corners of the nose, it's usually like a really good area where product kind of accumulates and you don't really realize it. So say like you're using like Retin-A or retinols at night, they can kind of just like build up in here and you go to bed and then you Mm -hmm. have like a really strong concentration of that retin-a that's been sitting in this area all night you know it's important to find out why you have that you know if it's something like an irritation or something like that it's easier to treat but if you have like broken capillaries for example i find that lasers are just the best way to treat that kind of thing there's really nothing else it's like a couple sessions of the laser and it will get rid of the redness and you know usually for a long time i can't say like for good because uh you know they can come back especially if you blow your nose you know things like that the lasers is usually the best but if it's just because things are accumulating in that area that's so easy just maybe take like tissue paper and just like wipe in here you know before you go to bed and which which laser would you recommend so i like candela makes some good ones Mm -hmm. the v-beam laser is great ipl you can Mm -hmm. use like um, ipl for that as well or even like um laser genesis it's another one it's not as strong as the two i just mentioned but if it's not that red it's pretty effective right yeah that makes sense how about the best preventative strategies for keeping your skin healthy other than avoiding the sun and you know i guess sunscreen but other things that people can do at home maybe yeah so you know antioxidants that we you know talked about Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. major i mean it's it's so good for the skin it's reparative and it's also preventative so antioxidants are good to put into the skincare and then, you know, like massage, you know, I'm, I'm very big, like in my facials with massage. That's like another really good way to stimulate blood flow um, in the skin. And when you have blood flow, you have oxygen and uh, nutrients that are feeding the skin cell. And so that's very rejuvenating, reparative. And then also lymphatic drainage, get rid of some of, you know, even, you know, you would know, um, Gary, like after surgeries, you know, like that can help heal, you know, lymphatic drainage. But, you know, lasers can also build collagen, LED light therapy is a really other good, there's like so many great things. Yeah, totally. 
So a couple of good questions coming in, and this was on our list, but we may as well tackle it now. Well, two different things, but let's start with, I guess, acne scarring. That's something that I really don't ever treat on purpose. <laughs> I avoid it like the plague, but what do you do? I guess, you know, maybe if they're in the very active phase, they might see a dermatologist and get whatever, but I guess more for like kind of chronic effects of it. Yeah. What do you think works best for the different like scarring types? Yeah, yeah. So for, I mean, there's so many different types of scars. You know, you have like the pitted scars or the ones that have like little indentations in the skin. You have mm -hmm. like the pink scars. Uh, and you also, um, depending on your, you know, skin tone, sometimes they can even be like brown. So at home, something that could help you with like the staining and the brown, I mean, even a little bit of the pitting too, is just find things that build collagen, right? So different acids, retinol, sunscreen is really important because if you don't have sunscreen, you're breaking down the collagen, you're, you're harming the skin, so it can't heal itself. So that's important. And then, you know, in treatment, there are pretty ag aggressive lasers out there that I've seen phenomenal results to treat like really bad acne scarring but you know you also can do chemical peels is another really great solution right. for acne scarring yeah thank you for that and then for a darker skin complexion i guess not just for someone asked about unevenness but just in general skin care do you modify the regimen at all or does it not matter what the skin color is yeah, so there is a little bit of modification because when you have darker complexions, you're much easier to pigment. So you have to be a little bit more careful, like with chemical peels, you know, and things like that. I actually don't like using facial scrubs at all if you are darker complexion and maybe like if you're a little, you know, lighter skin tones, maybe sometimes. I don't, I, I don't really like scrubs, but there is, you do have to be careful depending on the skin tone. Yeah, I mean, Maybe like if you have like um, darker skin tone, like, you know, work maybe with Arbutin, which is like an alternative to hydroquinone or hydroquinone is used a lot for like pigmentation. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So let's just jump into Cynthia, what your favorite services are, what, like what you really enjoy doing in your uh, practice yeah. and what seems to work best for clients. Yeah, so something that's very popular um, in my practice, it's called the Diamond Glow. It used to be called Dermal Infusion, but they changed the name. So Diamond Glow is very um, popular. It's good for literally everyone. It's just a really great way to resurface and infuse the skin with really good ingredients. LED light therapies is great for everyone. It's an easy add-on too. It builds collagen, helps with pigment, helps with redness, microneedling, microcurrent, is also becoming very popular and massage as well. Okay. All right. Cool. And uh, do jade rollers work is a question. Uh, they don't, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish. Really, it's just, it's really not penetrating product. I mean, maybe we'll get a little lymphatic drainage from it, but unfortunately, it's, it's a trend. It's very gimmicky. Yeah. For rosacea, topical mm -hmm. or systemic treatment, what seems to work best. I'm a huge believer in everything topical before you get into anything right. oral. There are some really great products out there that will help you topically mm -hmm. for rosacea, but you know, there are like the severe cases or the, the cases that are just very stubborn no matter what you try. Um, yeah. You have to go for like, I don't know, a doxycycline or something like an antibiotic that will help you, but definitely I would go with topical first. Yeah. Yeah, good. What about the best brand if you had to pick one? I know you said that you don't like to just stick with one brand, but mm. if you had to put one out there that you think maybe has the best science behind it or the best the kind of overall package of products, just because some people might be overwhelmed and may not yeah. you know, be able to see you if they live somewhere else uh, yeah. outside of New York. So this is tough and to just pick one or I'll, let me give you a couple. So Restore C is a fabulous line. It's pretty much good for all skin types. So you can find something that will work for you. They use enzymes and these enzymes basically digest dead skin cells, but they're very gentle. So it's even okay for um, the, the person who asked for uh, rosacea treatment. It's amazing for rosacea. So that's a really wonderful line. Is clinical is another one. They have a much broader range of products mm -hmm. and they use all of their like antioxidants and acids. They're more um, like medical grade. So they're very effective and they're amazing. And then Skin Better, I guess would be the other one. I am loving their uh, retinoid cream. Retinoids have, you know, this 
they're known to cause irritation and, and redness and peeling and flaking and all these like side effects that make people not even want to use them. But they found a way to formulate it in a way where you don't get red, you don't get irritated. Um, it's actually very calming. And something special about them is they actually combine their retinol with acids, which isn't really done ever because that can cause even more irritation and it, it doesn't. So those three, I'm, I mean, it's hard to choose. Just re but... recap the name again, Restore yeah. C. Uh, yeah. Restore C yeah. um, is clinical and then um, Skin Better. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much out there. And I it's know. like, like for me, it's so overwhelming. That's why when people have questions about their skin, I'll, I send to you uh, any day. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much out there. What about for pores? Mm. Okay. So pores is like a really big one because there are a lot of things that claim that you can change the size of the pore. And that's really not true. Um, from everything I've read, it's not possible. Like it's genetics and that's, that's what you're born with. That's what you have, but you can make them look better, right? You can refine them. And also when you think about pores, like they kind of open up and they're holding a blackhead. And so they look bigger when they're full. So if you keep them cleaned out, they look smaller. You can actually allow them to kind of shrink back to their smaller size. So you can use salicylic acid is a really great ingredient because salicylic acid goes into the follicle. That's where your blackhead is. It goes in and cleans house basically. So it helps to prevent um, them from building. Chemical peels are really nice because it helps to kind of shave in a way like the top of the pore mm -hmm. where the dead skin cells make it look more uh, texturized so it helps to get rid of that so they look more refined those would be like my two favorite like good acids um, chemical peels are really good for that thank you for that just to dive deeper into chemical peel i mean as many people know there's kind of like lighter peels and then there's some heavy duty peels out there how do you decide which one to use and what's i guess your preferred one for most people yeah so um you know what are we looking to address is it you know pigmentation is it texture i usually use a peel in every single one of my treatments because chemical peels can be done super aggressive like when people think chemical peels they think of like sex in the city where i don't know if you guys watch sex in the city where like samantha had like like had to cover her face as she was like bloody and like super like red and had a ton of downtime from a chemical peel but that type of peel, this was like years ago. We don't even really do that many chemical peels like that because our technology is so much more advanced and you can get amazing results without having crazy downtime. So I like using acids and peels in every treatment, maybe at a low percentage where you have no downtime. But if we're working on like melasma, for example, or like pigmentation, or if someone just looks like really dull and their skin just looks like it needs to be really exfoliated, then that would go for like a heavier chemical peel. But that's usually maybe just like four or five days downtime. It's not even like that terrible. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the kind of like general concept here, similar to lasers, if you use sort of a lighter laser or a lighter chemical peel, exactly. you just need more frequent sessions. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's what people prefer. They can jump in during a lunch break and they don't look like a hot mess for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And also like the type of acid, like lactic acid, for example, doesn't really cause much downtime. It actually can hydrate the skin versus mm. like salicylic acid. Those will cause a lot more downtime. Right. And then what about like people doing these chemical peels at home? Because now, especially mm -hmm. with uh, the yeah. quarantine, you're seeing some <laughs> videos pop up on YouTube. And uh, it seems like some people are using fairly aggressive peels, yes. um, peeling for like a week. <laughs> so do you think that's safe to do at home or should people really just go to a You know, I, I don't. Um, it makes me really nervous. Um, I, for example, like I'm doing chemical peels with my clients, but like I'm on a virtual consult and like we're walking yeah. through the whole steps. And these are clients that I've had. So I know like what their skin needs and how they're going to respond. And I can kind of, control it the best way I can if there's like an issue but you don't have to like have crazy peel to get like a good result that's like one thing that I don't I don't know people just think they have to peel 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 all the time to like yeah. get a good result and that's not true you can use you know like not as strong acids but use them more often you can still get amazing results for your skin um, you don't have to go super aggressive yeah good point do pore strips work mm, I actually hate them <laughs> um, so the thing is that it's 
usually doesn't pull out the entire blackhead. And then I have like this, I don't know, theory. Um, it's just something that like I kind of put two and two together. So basically, if you guys really want to understand the way that a pore, uh, like a blackhead forms. So blackheads are actually not in the pore. They're formed in the hair follicle. They just like to say pores because it's like a marketing thing and people just pick that up. So in the hair follicle, you have um, a gland which produces oil and then you have a hair that grows out of it and the hair is used as a wick to wick out the oil so when you do these strips I know if you've done it which I used to do it like back in the day because I was obsessed with pores in like middle school so you can see that like a little bit of the blackhead comes out but then also the hair so I, for me, like when I went to school and I started learning that the hair is important to, you know, to get the oil out of the hair follicle, I like put two and together. I was like, well, that is counterproductive, like, because you're removing the hair, so you're going to get more blackheads. So mm. I actually don't like them at all. Interesting. Yeah. No, it just reminds me a little bit about uh, sinus surgery, which I don't do a ton of much anymore, but yeah. there's a reason why people usually think about like an acronym called FES, like, oh, I got a FES. It's a functional endoscopic sinus surgery. And it oh. used to be that people would go in, just remove as much as they could, but it actually left people in a worse condition, you know, not being able to right. breathe well and all this stuff. So the functional aspect is actually trying to preserve the, the inner lining, the mucosa, because it has also little hairs that, that beat and control filtration and that oh, sort of thing. Interesting. So yeah, the, yeah the, the concept now is to really go in and do the, the least amount to still, you know, open up some of the airway, but preserve that inner lining. So mm -hmm. I don't know, just I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts on oxygen facials? Yeah. So um, I actually really like them. I think it's a really great way to deliver nutrients and vitamins to the skin. I actually do two different types of oxygen treatments in the print practice. So I have like, it looks almost like a little wand or a jet that helps to penetrate the product. But then I used um, ionized oxygen. So basically, I, the ions help to um, repair free radical damage in the skin. It's, it's also good for the body because I have it like in a dome where you breathe it in as well. So um, it's very therapeutic for like a whole body treatment. I think that they can be very effective. Okay, good. Especially I... like post like um, lasers and like chemical peels. Um, it can help to uh, reduce downtime. Oh yeah, so that so actually, yeah. If you can chat more about what your post-treatment uh, regimen is, and you know what's safe, what isn't, um, and and then I also wanted to ask you how. And I've asked you this before uh, offline, but just so you could tell the crowd, like how often are people coming back to see you? That was one of my you know, initial thoughts when I was like, you know, how, how yeah. often people need these types of treatments for their, their skin? Yeah, yeah, I'll address that first. So I think it's a little bit, you know, different what I do because I'm not like a spa, you know, so I'm very much about changing your skin. Um, so people who come to me is because they want like corrective treatments or they're very into like making their skin look better. It's not so much for like pamperment, even though like massage and stuff that I do, it feels good but it's really for a purpose, for like a, a greater purpose for the skin. I would like to say between four to six weeks is like ideal. At least like one, you know, treatment like per season. So like four times a year. But you know, it really depends. Like if we are going for like pigmentation or like really trying to resurface or like reach like a goal, like sometimes I'll see yeah. people once a week, you know, if necessary for like a series. Yeah. So it, it really depends But I would say like once a season or if you can ideally like once a month okay um and then treatments for like post procedures yes. so so i have an led light machine that is top of the line so led what it does it's um you have red light and blue light and a whole bunch of other colors but mm -hmm. really like if you guys are looking for led therapy the red and the blue are the ones that are scientifically have been in like medical journals and things like that, that actually have proven to work. The LED light therapy, the red, for example, is amazing post-procedure. Um, it helps to bring oxygen to the skin, helps repair, helps reduce redness. Um, so those are really, that's really popular post-procedure. Uh, um, lymphatic drainage is huge. Like even, you know, after surgeries, it really speeds up healing time. And then I'm trying to think like post-surgery, like what I, what I do or like sure. just 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So like lymphatic drainage, LED light therapy, and then helping the skin heal faster with antioxidants. Mm-hmm. So if you, if your skin is healthy, um, you're going to heal faster and antioxidants help the skin heal much faster. So if you prep with really good antioxidants before surgeries, before any type of, you know, treatment, yeah. you're going to have way less downtime and antioxidants help to repair the skin even post treatment. Yeah. Super important to keep in mind. It's, um, it's easy to forget that even as a surgeon, because the focus is so much on, you know, surgical steps and who's a candidate and, Oftentimes, um, the skin is sort of left forgotten, but it's, it's so critical. Yeah. So that's a great reminder. Let's chat also about like how early can people start with uh, some of the treatments that you offer? Is there like a 18 or is there like some sort of age minimum? I mean, I've even treated like seven year olds, you know, it, it really, yeah, it depends. For instance, like, you know, acne, you know, that's usually like in the teen, you know, range. Um, so like even like 12, 13, some moms say, oh, my kid, you know, has a lot of blackheads or, you know, like they just need a cleaning or, you know, they have KP, for instance, like that's keratosis pilaris. Like when you have like, your skin is like rough, it's like a buildup of like dead skin cells. You can get a lot like on the back of your arms, but some, you know, kids, they get it right in here. So we can like do things to like help them like smooth this out. So really, I mean, You have skin, you can always be treated, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. What about for men? Do you make any mm. adjustments for men? So I know we're I like stubborn, to, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I like to say, I mean skin is skin, right? Yeah. So everyone needs treatment. And the only thing that I, I would say that, you know, men's skin is a little bit thicker. Um, it's more resilient. Luckily you guys have more collagen in your skin. I don't know how that's even fair because I feel like women are more hashtag yeah Yeah. (laughs) so you can go a little bit more aggressive usually um for men and they you know they love like the pampermint and treatment but like at home I know you guys are like a lot more simple so finding products that kind of are like a three-in-one kind of thing you know works really well that's helpful (laughs) (laughs) so for patients who also get botox treatments do you notice any changes in the quality of their skin beyond just less wrinkles i just wonder like just the way i guess you know certain things can get applied onto the skin or any other changes that that you notice for your patients maybe get more botox than some of your other patients yeah you know i don't really see a change in the skin obviously like you know this the texture because there's is not Mm. as bumpy, you know, where the wrinkle is. But one thing that I do see, and this is, um, I have like questions for you too, but we can like, you can answer this, but something that I do see is it's so important to find a good injector because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, for instance, like, you know, Botox one area over a longer period of time, other muscles try to overcompensate for that lack of movement and then they get stronger right? So then now you have like a whole other issue where it's like, you've tried to knock out these muscles so you don't have wrinkles here, but then these are getting stronger. So it's like, it's, it it could be another problem. So I see that sometimes where I Mm -hmm. feel like, okay, they're not like moving here, but then this is like super strong or like this is paralyzed, but then like there's a lot of movement here or even like in here. So I think finding a good injector is is so important because they need to tell you like, yeah, sure, we can do this area, but this one should go with it too. Yeah, what, do you, yeah. what do you think? No, it's a great point. So not only I think the muscles that aren't injected can start to get stronger and overcompensate potentially, but the muscles that you are injecting, they're obviously getting paralyzed, but they're also weakening over time and they're atrophying. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the other issue. So if you do injections too frequently, which some people do just, you know, they plug it into their computer, call the patient every three months, get them in, you know, get, get the money, get the treatment done. And patients, you know, if they, if they can pay, they don't always mind because they're like, oh, I'm coming in, it's a regular thing. But the problem is that you really do weaken the muscle over time. So I think in my practice, I really like to space it out as much as possible. And so for some patients, it's every six months, others it's, you know, every four months, sometimes it's every eight months, it just depends on, on the individual. Yeah. Um, so basically spacing it out enough where you're still giving them the aesthetic improvement, but you're not creating long-term problems. So that's also very important because, yeah, because if you keep injecting the forehead, for example, eventually just the muscle is going to get so thin that your brows just drop because that's the only muscle holding them up. I and like, that could happen, you know, in well, the 
I love that you said that because it literally bothers me so much when I hear someone say, you have to come every three months because if you don't, then you're just going to make the wrinkle, you know, like, I just think that's so wrong in the muscle atrophy. That's something that's coming up so much more now. We're like, yeah. you know, but we didn't know about this before because Botox is only used when it was like a problem. But now like you have like 18 year olds, you know, getting Botox. And so now we've created a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's going to happen when you haven't used your muscle for this long. So muscle atrophy, I think I'm, I'm so happy you said that and, and people are hearing about this. And that's one thing I love about um, Gary. He's you're like, so honest. Like, I haven't. Uh, I, I haven't put you up to this. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But like, I'll tell you, I, no, he's like, so honest, like, you know, I, I, so I send you, you know, clients. And I remember, I don't think I told you the story. Actually, I remember I sent someone to you. And, you know, I saw her for like, you know, her, her treatment with me, like, I don't know, a month later. And she was like, Yeah, you know, um, he didn't want to do Botox for me or filler for me or something. I think something like that. Yeah. And I was like, well, he's right. You know what I mean? Like, it, you're not the type that's just going to do it because someone's sitting there and they want to pay you. You really yeah. think about doing the best thing for them. Yeah, I try to. And it's it's strange when a patient really wants something and I have to tell them no, um, especially with like a bigger surgical procedure because some people get very upset. You know, yeah. like I've had, this has been a little bit of a trend lately. It's sort of off topic from skincare, but like people in their early 30s, who want a facelift. And I think it's just premature. And there are people in town who will do that. They'll do the facelift. I just, I think it's too young. You know, it's just, it's just not necessary. There are other things you can do. And plus it's just too early to pull the trigger on a big procedure like that, in my opinion. But people get very upset. They save up money, they come in, you know, they just assume that, you know, I'm like the technician. Like, what do you mean? Like, you just need to just yeah. tell me what you're going to do and do it. it just doesn't work that way and uh you know there's always someone out there who will take them on but i appreciate it. thank you for the kind words i mean that's i yeah you know, i try to run my practice just like treating people yeah. the way i treat family it's it's and, a really uh, it's an amazing quality to find a physician because you don't know there are 10 out there that will just do it yeah yeah i mean look that it's it's not easy to to have a you know, private practice and there's a lot yeah. of competing uh, factors as, and, and just challenges as, as you know. So yeah. I, you know, I get it, you know, that it's not easy for people and you kind of have to do things to keep the practice afloat. But I still like to believe that there's a way to kind of make it all work where your patients are happy, right. they're, they're safe, they're, they're doing well. And for the long term too, you know, they could do great for two years. And then if they have issues from fillers or Botox, I mean, that's, that's not like a sustainable way to, to practice. I agree. Um, I totally agree. So yeah, someone asked, yeah, facelift at 30. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunately becoming more and more um, popular for me to hear that request. Mm -hmm. um, and then one other point which came up, which was really interesting, because I mean, I try to think through all the questions that can come up in these conversations. But yeah. this was just the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine, Dr. Nizam in Alabama, he's an oral surgeon and a cosmetic plastic surgeon, mm -hmm. a really cool guy, you know, excellent surgeon. And we were just discussing how now that more of these people are getting facelifts, especially younger, and more of us as surgeons are using a deeper plane approach, it's going to be very challenging down the road to do revision procedures on those patients, yeah. because it's just more dangerous to go back in once the D plane has already been explored. Mm -hmm. The nerves are more at risk and that sort of thing. So now when people are doing their facelifts, they're using a permanent suture sometimes on the inside so that if they have to go back into the faces they've already operated on, they can more easily find that suture to know where they where they are. Oh, but imagine now someone else did the procedure, yeah. they didn't use that, you have no idea. And so it just makes revision procedures more risky. So I think that's what we're going to encounter, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, 10, 15 years from now, when these younger folks, you know, mm -hmm. come in for their revisions, we might encounter more nerve problems and, you know, kind of serious complications from, from facelifts. So we'll, we'll see how that um, evolves, yeah. but cool. So, I mean, I think uh, there are a couple more questions from folks. Uh, derma rolling, mm. is that something that works? Yeah, it's uh, it's like microneedling at home. You know, I don't like to recommend it for everyone. I usually, if I'm if I have a client rolling at home, it's because I know them, you know, and I know they're going to do it right and they're going to follow the steps. But in general, the concept is 
great because you're creating little tiny like micro channels in the skin to be able to penetrate serums better. But you know, there's so many complications that can happen. Like you're not cleaning your device properly. You can get bacteria in there. Um, you're trying to infuse ingredients that shouldn't be infused. So I want to say, yes, it's good, but you really should, I guess, be monitored, you know, by like a professional to make sure you're using the right, you know, uh, instrument, cleaning it properly and what you're infusion, infusing is really important. Right. You know, something I've wondered, Cynthia, with the dermal rolling is, do you ever see people coming in with like um, scarring from overdoing the dermal rolling? Oh, yeah. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. I, I like just kind of assume that that would be an issue, but I, you know, I don't, I don't put people on that. Um. Yeah, totally. Because like, you know, I mean, you can, I mean, I don't even want to tell you guys where to buy this stuff, but there are places you can buy it where, you know, it's the needles are too long, you know? So like you really, sh if you're doing this at home, you shouldn't be causing any type of pinpoint bleeding. It should literally just be so superficial just to penetrate product and like the top layer of the skin, like the, the epidermis. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people are like really punching, you know, their skin or they're rolling too hard and, you know, so you can create a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah, good point. One question we received was about reducing freckles. Uh, mm. Any way to do this at home? So freckles are tough because even like if, you know, you get your skin pretty even toned, they're going to come back and, you know, very, I see it all the time. Like they may, it may look good like in the winter, fall, and then come spring, summer, they're just like full blown back. You can lighten them a little bit, but it's not going to be permanent either. Um, I usually just tell people like, just embrace it. Just love your freckles because it's yeah. like so much to, you know, try to get rid of them. But if you really are trying to, like maybe like a laser would probably be like the best. Does IPL have any benefit? It can help, yeah. uh, but it'll just come back. That's like the right. only thing, mm -hmm. you know. Anything else that you'd like to I have a question for add? you. Yeah, oh, sure. we've, we've just been talking about me this whole time. I have a question. <laughs> you know, for people watching who are a little scared about starting the Botox, the fillers, I already kind of vouch for you. He's very honest, you know, he'll tell you what's the best thing for you. But like, what's usually like your conversation when someone wants to just sort of start easing into, you know, injectables and things like that? Yeah, so good question. I mean, I always just find out what's bothering them, you know, because it's not just love. some people get just caught up in like, oh, other people are doing it, my friends are getting it, I need it too. And it's not always the case, you know, so I just want to know what what's bothering them. Some people have no idea, like nothing's bothering them. They're like, No, I, I think I look fine. Um, it's just I just want to kind of like know, you know, do I need this. And there is definitely some prejuvenation potential with Botox for sure. With filler, you're just you're just kind of covering up, you know, something that's already there. So that, there's nothing preventative about filler. It's just goo. Do you with, feel with like filler can promote collagen stimulation? Because I've heard that sometimes. Um, yeah, but it can also promote scar tissue, you know, deeper in the face and in the lips and, and all that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it can build collagen, but not like orderly collagen, in my opinion. With Botox, so yeah, so you want to catch people before they get these kind of static lines, if that's something that bothers them. Mm -hmm. So I always try to, especially on my younger patients who are in their like 20s and 30s, I'm trying to see if they have like some early signs of like little lines coming in that are static. Because if it's just dynamic, then that's everybody. You know, my nine-month-old has, you know, yeah. um, dynamic wrinkles. So something mm -hmm. wrong with that. But as soon as I see there's some, you know, semblance of some etched in lines, then I start talking to them about like preventative, you know, Botox and starting with conservative doses too. That's the mm -hmm. other thing, you know, there's a way to kind of start with a very hefty dose and you just like freeze everything and um, then you start to get into those kind of long-term issues. Actually, one of our uh, mutual uh, patients, she's very good about telling me like the, the least amount oh, yeah. that I can put in. <laughs> I'll, I'll be ready with a dose and she'll say, no, 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 I want you to use half of that. And I think uh, that's a smart way to do it. If you can achieve the same result with less, then that's the way to do it. And same thing with filler. You know, I just mm -hmm. don't believe in like dumping syringes of filler into people's faces. It's just not, I don't think it's wise. I mean, if someone's much older and they've lost a lot of volume and they don't want surgery, then sure, you might be talking about, you know, multiple syringes. Mm -hmm. But for younger patients, I think it's just ridiculous to just, just dump lots of syringes into their face. So those are some of like, I guess the concepts there. And then, you know, there are certain areas that are safe when it, well, for both, but you know, with Botox, 
it's going to be out of your body in, in like three to four months. So yeah. even if you really screw it up, it's not going to leave any like long-term um, issues from just one injection. Obviously, you, you want to have a nice result every time. But that being said, it, it's like, you know, kind of overall quite safe. Filler, as you know, and as hopefully many people know, and I, I go through these complications, not in like extreme, like graphic detail, but I like for people to know about some of the things that can happen. Because mm -hmm. to me, it's alarming that most people know sort of general surgical risks, but they don't really know filler risks. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's still a treatment that you're getting, you need to know what could happen even if it's rare. I mean, most like really bad things in surgery, especially for cosmetic procedures are also very rare, sometimes, you know, even more rare than, than certain bad effects of filler. So I want people to know what could go wrong, even in expert hands. Uh, you know, I mean, knowing the anatomy of the face is great. But when you're putting a needle deep into the face, you can't possibly know like that there is no larger blood vessel there, yeah. where the filler can get in and cause an occlusion and, and problems and skin death and lots of other issues yeah. so so they just uh, people just need to accept that risk then there are certain areas of the face that just aren't safe to inject so i know like for the nose for example it's a common request that i get certain parts of the nose just worry me and should worry everyone who's injecting the nose because um, that's where some of the bigger blood vessels live so you want to avoid those areas Mm -hmm. um, and so I just kind of educate people on the safety of different areas of the face. So mm -hmm. they might really want to get filler, for example, right into the glabella because yeah. they have some deeper creases and they're like, oh, you know, I've gotten Botox and it doesn't work. Like, can we just do filler? Extremely unsafe area and yeah. I'll never do it. I don't care how much someone pays me or how, yeah. you know, how much they ask for it. So uh, you just have to know sort of the, the danger zones and and just educate patients about that. And then, you know, there are ways of doing it in less traumatic ways, like using cannulas in yeah. certain parts. In my practice, I use only Restylane and three yeah. versions of it. I keep yeah. it super simple. So, yeah. you know, I commend people who experiment with many different types of filler and, and say like, oh, well, for this specific situation, I prefer this filler. But if in my hands, I can achieve great results and have happy patients with three kinds of filler, like, why would I then use other things? So I use, um, you know, kind of a tried and true um, wrestling product. And, mm -hmm. um, and I have th three different kinds. They basically have different, what's called uh, G prime or viscosity. The heaviest one is going to be what goes on bone. So if you're doing any work along the mandible, the jaw, or along the, the cheeks, you're going to, and, and even the nose, I use like the heavier type because you really want to kind of pop out the tissues and you're yeah. injecting pretty deep. So it, it's fairly safe to do. And then I have Restylane L, which is like the, the medium sort of version of, of, of the Restylane products uh -huh. and medium viscosity. And that's great for tear troughs. That's probably the most popular tear trough filler um, for people who actually inject mm -hmm. tear troughs. That's right in here. Yeah, exactly. Because the, what I love about Restylane products is that they don't soak up as much water. Yeah. They don't retain as much water as like Juvederm and other Allergan fillers. So it's more like what you see is what you get. I mean, they're going to swell a little bit after the injection. But when I'm injecting and I reach a point where like the aesthetic goal is met, I know that it's kind of going to stay there. You know, it's going to come back yeah. to that instead of then acting like more of a sponge and just bringing in more water. So, you know, if you're, for example, for the lips, if you re if someone really wants like the, the, the kind of pillowy, yeah. Yeah. large lips, like they're not really going to see that so much with the Restylane Silk, which is the right. least viscous one that I use. And that's mm -hmm. mainly just for the, the lips. So and yeah, that's really, really fine lines too, though, the silk, like the little tiny ones. That you yeah, have. yeah. Yeah, definitely. For kind of perioral lines, like some of the bigger lines, I like the Restylane L. But for, yeah, really fine lines, silk works nicely. If someone really wants like those kind of bigger lips, they're probably just not going to find that in my practice. You know, there are lots of other places where they can go. Yeah. Uh, most of my patients want like a subtle change where, you know, others won't necessarily know that they had anything done. And that's always sort of the look that I'm going for, whether it's, you know, with injectables or with surgery. Yeah, that's always kind of my goal for patients because, you know, the best line I ever heard from a mentor was, that plastic surgery shouldn't uh, scream, it should whisper. And I, like I think it's, you know, there's a lot of truth there, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't always been done 
well in like the yeah. celebrity world and so it gets a bad rep sometimes and yeah. um, you see a lot of botched work and most of that is coming from people who you know they don't have enough training in a certain part of the body for example or haven't really done much of a procedure and they just kind of try it out there's potential for bad things to happen there yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and then i got another question how do you feel about the thread lifts yeah good question so i mean i i have a whole like insta live with um, like a thread lift expert a uh, friend of mine and uh, I, I learned how to do threads from her i don't do it much in my practice it's not that i'm so like against them i just i guess a lot of patients have come to me they want i guess more permanent solutions and so then it's hard to offer them threads because you know it's not going to last that long i'm just yeah. always working them and it's a little bit more involved than just injectables mm -hmm. and people are just a bit more apprehensive about it so you know i think for the right patient there's some utility in it, you know, mm -hmm. for like very early jowling, possibly for lateral uh, brow ptosis. Um, you've kind of probably seen that in out yeah. in the, you know, in the media. So people getting this lift on the, on the lateral aspect of their brow. There are certain things that I think it, it can achieve as long as people understand that it's temporary and it's not going to be a very significant change, then it could work. Overall, from what I've seen in the literature and what I've heard from people who do threads quite a bit, the satisfaction rates are quite high, actually. So that's nice. You know, that's always a good yeah. thing to know. Yeah. Um, they've gotten safer over the years. They used to be permanent suture, like mm -hmm. proline. And now it's basically all PDS type of uh, suture material that's made into these different shapes and configurations. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, if I had someone who really wanted that in my practice, I'd accommodate them. I just, I don't advertise it that much. And, yeah. um, you know, so, but it's... There's a, I think there's a role for, for threads and, you know, rejuvenate facial aesthetics and rejuvenation. So, yeah. yeah. Good to know. It's yeah. becoming so popular, so. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, you know, definitely has been shown to, again, kind of create some collagen and maybe that tightens oh. things. Yeah, there's definitely data to, to support that. But um, yeah, so maybe even after the thread is dissolved, you, you know, you still have some, it's mostly scar, but it's some degree yeah. of collagen that holds things in position potentially so it's definitely an area that i'd like to explore more but yeah as you know my practice for different reasons i try to keep the menu small smallish um, mm -hmm. you know because i also do a lot of hair work too so i try to keep it as tight as possible to kind of offer the best of those yeah, specific and, and perfect um, things, options you know yeah yeah, yeah, because I just never wanted my, wanted my practice to have like a million lasers and like everything under the sun or to pretend that I'm some sort of like skincare guru as <laughs> some plastic surgeons pretend to be. I Honestly, I mean, that bothers me because there's some people like yourself who just understand it so much better and that like you live in that world. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think people should just kind of stick to what they're really, really good at and try to play up, you know, other people with really significant skills and that's part of the goal of this whole series, really. I mean, I'm kind of tapping into a lot of sort yeah. of my, my own okay. friends, but they happen to be at, like yourself, you know, some of the best experts in their fields, and it's been super rewarding. And so I hope people see that, you know, especially being in Manhattan, everything is so sub-sub-specialized, but there's a reason for it, because you can deliver better care that way, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's we're almost, it's, yeah. it's telling me 25 seconds is um. like the, the live countdown. So, um, Cindy, how do people get in touch with you if they want to schedule an appointment? Yeah, um, so if you go to my bio, there's a link there where you can um, just email me or you can okay. DM me as well. Okay, awesome. You have a beautiful new website, uh, right? That it's it's, it's in the works. Yeah, it's almost Oh, it's still, it's still, okay. It's not yeah, long yeah. yet. It's coming. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cynthia. Yeah, so good to see you. So good to see you, too. Well.